Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here from SpeedwayMedia.com as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. We qualified today at Atlanta Motor Speedway. The uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualified at Atlanta Motor Speedway. We'll discuss that, a couple of interesting little tidbits, a little trouble getting to inspection, a couple accidents. Also, big news coming coming out tonight. Las Vegas Motor Speedway, there's a possibility of a second date coming to Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Looks like it's going to happen. Also, same-day qualifying. Uh, We've seen a couple of tracks, Martinsville in October. Poconos announced both of their dates are going to do it. Uh, Is that a good thing for NASCAR? Does it really matter? We'll discuss all that. Plus, we'll take your phone calls. 917-889-8280. Join the conversation here on Talking Circles. But first, John, we'll discuss qualifying for the uh, quick, the Folds of Honors Quick Trip 500 from Atlanta Motor Speedway. Kevin Harvick on the polls, 18th career poll for Harvick. Uh, Fords have been fast all year long. Again, Harvick goes out there, and Stuart Haas Racing, obviously on the initial speed it, it, from the 41 winning the Daytona 500, Harvick winning the poll. It seems like the 40 uh, Stuart Haas Racing is not missing a beat by jumping to Ford. No, they're not. And one of the things that was very interesting about the way Harvick practiced today, he didn't really make pole runs in practice. He was doing 10 lap runs trying to make sure that they were set for the race because, I mean, when they were practicing between 12 and 2, that's the closest they were going to be to actual race time. So they decided to do race runs. And he had the fastest 10 lap average. And it just seems that everything's setting up for Harvick to have a great day on Sunday. Um, the Fords have been fast. I mean, you look at the qualifying Harvick on the pole, Stenhouse fourth, um, Keselowski fifth, Logano sixth. It's a good day for Ford. Roush Yates engines have stepped up this year. And Harvick even said this is the car he won the pole with at Homestead. They ran it twice last year. So, the chassis, you could tell Stuart Haas was starting to build some of their own chassis toward the end of last year, and they're carrying over to this year. This is a chassis they put a Ford body on. They had to cut up some things so the engine fit and the different clips, but it looks like it's going to be a solid car, and Harvick, 190 miles an hour, and he didn't really practice qualifying. You mentioned the Fords. Four Fords in the top six. Very impressive. We'll give you the top 12, Harvick. Uh, Ryan Newman qualified second. Newman fast in practice. Uh, this is one of his better racetracks as far as qualifying goes. Nice to see if you're an RCR fan that RCR was able to compete with the speeds of the fours because last week they were a little bit down on speeds and qualifying for the Daytona 500. Kyle Busch was third. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Jane McMurray, and Kyle Larson, the uh, Chip Ganassi racing teams there, seventh and eighth. Then Martin Tricks Jr., Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. round out your top 12, uh, you know, I, listen, I, you mentioned Stenhouse. Nice to see Roush. They have the initial speed. Uh, Bain qualified 15th, which is pretty good for him as well. Uh, they have the initial speed. If they can keep this up uh, and keep up the, the speed throughout this whole week, it'll be interesting to see if they can do that. You know, we saw what, what Kozlowski and Logano did last week in at Daytona. 
they are with with Team Penske. They are uh, one of the elite teams in NASCAR, no doubt about it. They they come to perform every week. Very good to see if you're a Ganassi fan as well. Larson and Jay McMurray up there. Larson's a a great driver. Got some got some skill, no doubt about it. McMurray, they're fast from the initial get go, but uh, it should be interesting to see how this race plays out. You know, do you think qualifying here, John, means a whole lot for some of these teams, or you know, with with this new format with you know, the stage events that we're going to have here at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Sunday, or what are your thoughts on this whole uh, qualifying? Does it really mean a whole lot? One of the things that makes Atlanta special compared to the rest of the mile and a half, at least for this one until they repave it, is because the track is so old and so abrasive, tires matter, and how good you can manage your tires matter. So this is one of the few races you're going to see comers and goers because if somebody manages their tires well at the end of the run, they're going to be solid. They're going to blow people out of the water because people 30 laps in are going to be screaming for tires and they're down two sets of tires compared to where they were last year of what they can use during the race. And that's going to play into their strategy. I mean, it's not like you can go in there every time there's a caution and, and bolt four new pieces of sunshine on there and be happy about it. I mean, there's going to be times where they're going to manage tires. There may be times where they don't come in during pit stops because they're going to try to save at least one good set one new set for the end of the race. And it's going to be interesting. I think handling is what matters at this track. There's going to be comers and goers where you qualify at Atlanta. I mean, if you're in the top 20, I think you're pretty safe. The back half of the field, because Harvick is going to be coming. There's probably mm-hmm. going to be cars getting lapped within the first 15 laps. So that's, yeah, that's one a- of the things you got to watch out for. That's a very interesting point, John, and a good one by you. Um, couple of interesting tidbits as well as you go through qualifying. Uh, the highest qualifying rookie was Daniel Suarez in 21st. Uh, a little bit disappointing lap for Eric Jones since his teammate was in the top 10. He qualified 23rd. Ty Dillon was 26th. Greg Alden and Corey LaJoy, the other two rookies, 31st and 32nd with BK Racing. Not much expected from them in qualifying. But kind of a, a surprise, you know, a couple other surprises. I thought Matt DiMenedetto had a pretty good lap in the first round. He qualified 22nd. Jimmy Johnson, 18th. You don't really see that team back there too much. Uh, it's not a huge concern, like we've said here, uh, but but kind of sitting there scratching head going, maybe they're searching for speed a little bit. Uh, two big-time teams I was, I'm was i worried about, Casey Kane and Eric Amarola. Casey Kane, 29th. Eric Amarola, 30th. Kane needs momentum this year. He needs to have a good year. Had a decent run at Daytona. Um, you know, finished in the top five there, did it, or top ten there, did a great job there. Um comes this weekend and in the first real competition of this weekend qualifies 29th and Eric Amarola I thought that 43 car last weekend was slow in the race in the 500 I thought it was slow throughout the whole weekend they kind of uh attrition their way up into the top five finish last week uh a 30th place qualifying lap for him you know those two drivers who need to have big years uh off to a slow start here at Atlanta Motor Speedway well, Kane, again, he was sort of like Harvick. He was practicing race runs most of the day. He wasn't really trying to lock in his qualifying run because Kane was running a lot of laps up top trying to see how the car was going to run during Sunday's race. Um, I think they sacrificed qualifying for making sure they got a handle on it because this lower downforce package and smaller spoiler and the amount of wind they had it was blowing the cars all over the place. They had a ton of tailwind going into turn three. And with 
I mean, they showed a Monster Energy can on the back of Kurt Busch's car and showed that the spoiler only goes about not even halfway up the can. That little bit of spoiler and going those speeds, that car could turn around in the blink of an eye. So I think they were trying to get the handling down for Sunday because if you qualify in the top five, all that's great. But if you crash out on lap 20 because you haven't got your handling set up, that qualifying thing didn't matter matter a bit. So I think they were working on race runs as well, trying to get a handle on the low downforce package and the lack of spoiler they got on the back of the car. Almarola, I mean, Richard Petty Motorsports has been struggling. They continue to struggle, and they're still getting their stuff from Roush Yates. So that's one of the things that you got to look out for. And that's the thing that makes you scratch your head is, you know, uh, they're still getting their stuff from Roush Yates, and, they've, and they're struggling. Roush Yates looks like, They've at least initially the, the initial speed here at Atlanta Motor Speedway has been pretty good. So kind of a alarming lap there. If you're an Eric Amarola fan or a fan of Richard Petty Motorsports, uh, but again, it's just a start. Two accidents today, two significant, two notable accidents, I should say. Uh, one was Matthew Benedetto banged it off the wall in the second round. He looked to be okay. Not too much damage on that number 32 car. Can M Kappa the sponsorship on that car this weekend. And the other one was David Reagan. Reagan. Bounced it off the wall in round one of the practice of the qualifying session. Uh, to put a lot of damage, a significant amount of damage on the number 38 Camping World Ford this weekend. Uh, so Reagan here, you know, if you count the duels and you count um, Daytona 500 and, and three of his four real competition, uh, three of the four real competition events this season, Reagan's had some trouble bouncing it off the wall there. So not a great start to his second tenure here at, at, at Front Row Motorsports. He'll start 34th uh, because five cars, John, did not take time uh, in qualifying. They did not get through inspection. Those cars are Michael McDowell, Derek Cope, Cole Witt, uh, Cody Ware, and Jeffrey Earnhardt. All will make the field, but did not take time to start at the rear of the field. Is that a concern? Do you think um, these teams might not have their arms around the rules, or is this something we see at Atlanta Motor Speedway first real kind of downforce racetrack of the year, and, and it's something that uh, shouldn't be an issue at Las Vegas. Well, again, it's the smaller teams that had the troubles this time. Um, I listened to Claire B. Lang uh, driving around earlier this evening, and she had Elton Sawyer on, and Elton Sawyer said every car passed through at least once by 5 o'clock. So they still had a half hour to go before qualifying started at 5.30, so everybody got through at least once. I think they're just off, and they're not close to being. I mean, they're not close. They're way off on how they had their cars set up. Now, one of the things that I think that NASCAR might want to do, you know how they put this, they have a car, they take the car to the R&D center, and they get the sticker on it, and they check it for safety and all that stuff. You'd think they'd put it through the claw there, and that way you at least know you're going to pass the claw. You you know what your wiggle room is inside the claw, but they should do the claw before they even take the car to the track. Yeah, I think they're probably worried about teams manipulating the rules, though, if they do that, because if you only pass it there, uh, you know, teams have a lot of chance to work on it unless they keep the cars, which it's going to be hard to keep 40 race cars uh, if you're NASCAR. So it's it's interesting. I mean, it's a triple-header weekend this weekend. You know, you had a, a, a bunch of practice sessions from both – Xfinity and the truck series this weekend. I don't know if that played any effect into it or not. Um, but listen, this is the second year in a row now. Atlanta Motor Speedway has um, kind of come out here and had some big issues as far as 
inspections are concerned, and not all the teams uh, made a qualifying lap. So, uh, you know, the biggest team on that is Michael McDowell. You know, Cope, no disrespect to him, but Premium Motorsports, and they've, they've been okay as far as speed-wise goes, is concerned, but they probably would have started back towards that, where they are now anyway. Uh, same thing with, you know, Jeffrey Earnhardt, uh, Cody Ware as well. Um, and, and Cole Whip probably would have gotten up towards – you know, top 25, but the big team was McDowell who probably had a, you know, they got RCR affiliation. So they might've had a decent top 20, top 15 start. So they really got bit by that, but it'll be interesting to see how they can make their way through the field. I think it, it's a little bit of an advantage for some of these guys because the leader won't um, get too far out to a lead as far as, you know, it, it the, you're guaranteed only a 60 lap uh, run in the first session there. So, um, you know, it's not gonna be a hundred lap green flag run. So you should be okay as far as that's concerned. Um, as far as Atlanta goes, John, this weekend, obviously we saw the stages at Daytona. You know, the RCR, or excuse me, the JGR teams, Joga's Racing teams, tried to short pit the segments. It backfired on them a little bit here. But with the way these tires are, you know, Atlanta Motor Speedway is hard on tires. You know, it has been for the last few years, you know, and this is the last race that will be on this service, surface. But uh, it's hard on tires. And I think you're going to start seeing some of these teams short pitting. Uh, splitting the segments in half here. And, um, you know, because if you stay out too long in the tires, you're just going to lose too much time. So it's a matter of time until the first car pits. Uh, That should throw a little bit of a wrench here for these teams. Uh, What are your thoughts on on the segment racing? What do you think we're going to see here at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Sunday? I think we're going to see normal Atlanta Motor Speedway racing. I don't think you can take the chance to short pit here. If you go to somewhere like Pocono or Indy or the road courses, you can short pit and get away with it because you're not going to go a lap down. If you short pit here and you're like in 15th place and you try to short pit, the leader's going to lap you. And they're going to keep pulling away. You may have your chance to get it back, but you better hope there's no caution while you're a lap down because – and it, with Atlanta, the way the track is, as worn out as it is, and I don't know, we could see a few a few pretty quick accidents here on this track just because they're running these low-down force cars with a really small spoiler, and they haven't put a bunch of them together in a pack to see how they're running. I mean, you never know what somebody could take the air off of you, and you go around, if somebody short-pitted, if you get five cars that short pitted and somebody goes around, only one guy gets the lucky dog. The other four are sitting in the back of the pack just hoping to get a chance at it. Or they're going to have to take a wave around with older tires. For sure. And, and listen, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams play. 85-85, and then the final one is about a 150-lap segment. So going to be very interesting to see how they play. 85 laps is a long time. Um at Atlanta Motor Speedway, you know, you could fall, you know, he Harvard can lap all the way up to, to 21st, 22nd around there. You know, and it depends how fast he's putting the pace on. Uh, you're going to have to make a green flag pit stop under that time as well. Um, so, yeah, it'd, be inter- it'd just be interesting to see how quick these teams take tires. You know, obviously, if you want to do 30 laps cause, or even 25, uh, 30 will probably be about, about the number because, hey, let's take tires now, then we'll take it twice again. We're going to have to pit twice anyway, and then by the time we pit a third time, We'll have a caution out. Uh, obviously, that all depends on how the cautions fall early. You're probably right. We might see some some cautions early on. I mean, the cars were all over the place in practice and qualifying today. Obviously, it's a different animal because of the fact that they'll be more towards race trim and the longer runs than they are here in qualifying. 
Um, but very interesting. It was very interesting to watch to see the drivers fighting the, fighting their guts out. You know, even even the cars that were in the top twelve, Dale Earnhardt Jr. They had an in-car camera on him fighting the wheel. Uh, so it was it was very interesting to see that as far as the, how ill-handling these race cars are. It'll be interesting to see how that goes there on Sunday. Um, any more thoughts, John, for the uh, Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 here at Atlanta Motor Speedway as far as what we're going to see? Anything that you notice from qualifying uh, before we move on? Well, one thing I noticed in practice, and you brought it up about the in-car camera, and these cars are a handful. I mean, Harvick loves the bottom at Atlanta. And he will do everything he can to get his car set up on the bottom because he figures if he can run the bottom, he can run anywhere else. And he was struggling to get to the yellow line. And his hands were working. They were sawing on that steering wheel. Same way with Brad Keselowski. And both of these guys know what they're doing. They're really good on the mile-and-a-half tracks. They're really good at Atlanta. And they were struggling to get their car down to where they need to. Junior was running high at one point and tried to get uh, coming out of three and four, tried to get to the bottom of one and two and couldn't do it. So, and these are guys running by themselves. When they do a double while, double file restart and they get going, it takes three or four laps for them to get sort of spread out. If they're running that way and they're that loose and sawing on the wheels that much, there's a big chance there could be trouble early and often. But again, one of the things you're looking at with this, the track heats up tires like it's, his, like it's its job, but they don't have an unlimited set of tires this year. They have 12 sets. And if they take three sets per segment, that gives them nine. But you better hope that's all you need because, I mean, tire, tires at the end are what matters. And they give 10 points for the first segment, 10 points for the second segment. The last segment, you get 45. And I'd rather have the 45 at the end than worry about the 10 at the beginning and the 10 in the middle. I want to make sure I'm there to get the 45 at the end in the big trophy. No doubt about it. I think uh, there's still emphasis on winning. Plus, you get knocked into the chase if uh, you win the race at a Land Motor Speedway. And that's, and that's important early in this, in this thing, if, especially if you're a team that's you know, still trying to figure stuff out. If you can somehow sneak into a win or, or pull off a win, you know, it makes life a little bit easier. Obviously, it's still um, – important to run good now with with how the points are and that the regular season champion gets uh 15 extra bonus points going into the uh playoffs we call them now instead of the chase so yeah uh it it it's going to be interesting on sunday i really do i think it's going to be a uh the you know the first time for anything for everything anytime it's a first time or something um you're going to be sitting there intrigued on how it's going to work and Daytona is its own animal with the restricted plates. You have to kind of pit by uh, in groups because if you can't pit by yourself here. Now at Atlanta, you can pit by yourself. One team can do something completely different, and yet it might backfire or it might make them look like geniuses. Uh, it's very interesting to see, John, You know just how the first time uh, we're going to be experiencing this on a mile-and-a-half track. The other thing I was looking at when it came to practice uh, early this afternoon – Newman had fast practice time at 187. The cars that were that we're talking about that didn't make it through inspection, except for Michael McDowell, they were down in the 170s. I mean, Derek Cope ran a 170, 175 mile an hour lap. That's 12 miles an hour between first and 38th. So it shouldn't take Harvick or whoever's in the lead too long to start catching into lap traffic. And then it's a matter of how the leaders navigate lap traffic and if the lap traffic can hold on to the car and not take the leaders out. 
I mean, you look, when Kyle Busch and Dale Earnhardt Jr. wrecked it to Daytona 500, Kyle was on the tail end of the lead lap and took Jr. out because Kyle got loose, I mean, spun it around, and Jr. had nowhere to go. It could be one of those things where somebody who's in the back of the pack, and, I mean, to be honest with you, a car that's 12 miles an hour off of the top speed, why, should, why are they even out there? other than to fill the field. I mean, they don't even have the field filled. They have 39 cars this week, and I'm afraid to even see what's going to happen when they go to Phoenix and Vegas and California because the non-charter teams, is it really worth their money to go out there? Yeah, that's going to be very, you know, interesting to see because, like you said, West Coast trip, you know, it's a lot further to go out there. BK Racing's 83 team wasn't on the entry list until late uh, in the go-around here at, at Atlanta Motor Speedway, so they kind of, I think, waited to see – what the field would look like before entering. They'll probably do the same thing at Las Vegas. Since owner points don't mean anything, you can be a late entry. Um, 917-889-8280 here to talk on Talking Circles if you want to join the show. Um, John, a couple, an interesting, very interesting, I should say, little news piece. Bob Pockers, I think, had it first, if not close to first, and I apologize if, if I got that wrong. But Las Vegas Motor Speedway could get a second cup date if a $2.5 million sponsorship deal is approved by the city's tourism board next week. Um, Las Vegas convention visitors said that uh, they will meet Wednesday afternoon to discuss a potential deal, which could, you know, would give them a second date ultimately. Um, And basically NASCAR has signed a deal, a five-year deal with racetracks that says, you know, this group of racetracks that we have now, are the racetracks through 2021, through the 2021 season. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, you, know, a, a, you can't add a date for a track we currently have or take away a date from a track we currently have, but it would have to be done because of businesses. ISC and SMI are two separate businesses. International Speedway Corporation, which owns Daytona, Darlington, uh, Martinsville, all, a lot of other racetracks. That's, that's sort of what Lisa France Kennedy runs. Uh, Bruton Smith is the uh, head of SMI, Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. Uh, they own Texas, Kentucky, Atlanta, Bristol, Sonoma, and, of course, Las Vegas. So when you look at the, at the, um, at the SMI, John, New Hampshire's in there. Uh, you got Charlotte, like the Texas, Bristol, Atlanta, Kentucky, Sonoma, and Vegas. Let's break this down a little bit. If they take a date away from one of these tracks and give a second date to Atlanta, I don't think it's going to be Charlotte. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Texas. I think it's going to be Bristol. That leaves Atlanta, New Hampshire, Kentucky, Sonoma, and Kentucky and Sonoma. Atlanta, they're paving, so you know they're not losing their one date. Uh, Kentucky, they're not losing their one date. Sonoma's got one date. They're not going to lose it. So it leaves, really, John, New Hampshire. It's your part, yeah, it's your neck of the woods. Um, do you see... Any other racetrack losing this date besides New Hampshire? Because I think that's the most full racetrack right now when we talk about having a date to Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway is a great track. It has good racing. It's, I mean, side-by-side most of the day. There's some beating and banging. It's a short track, and I love short track racing. New Hampshire Motor Speedway sort of fell into the Rockingham track trap of last year, half of the half of the crowd was disguised as empty bleachers. And last year, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better date if you were New Hampshire Motor Speedway. It was sunny in 65. The Patriots were out of town. 
the Red Sox were out of town. So you had no reason for any sports fan to go to Boston or go to Gillette to see their other favorite sports team. The only game in town that weekend was the race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway in the fall. And if there were 40,000 people there, I would be surprised. I mean, it's a great track. There's good racing there. Dr. Dick, Dick Bergen's building the uh, New England Hall of Fame up there. But if there's a race, and we almost thought that all along when Bruton bought New Hampshire Motor Speedway from the Bear family, we sort of thought from the beginning that New Hampshire was going to lose a race, whether it was going to be to Vegas, which we all expected, or um, to get Atlanta its second date back. But Atlanta has still not shown they can support a race with a decent crowd. We'll see how they do this weekend when it's supposed to be sunny and 70. Perfect day for a walk-up if you want to go see the race. But I think if there's a track that's going to lose it, I mean, Texas Motor Speedway, even though it's not totally filled up, sells out about between eighty-five and 100000 between infield and the stands. Vegas does really well. I mean, they may not sell it out, but they do really well, and the racing is really good at Vegas for a mile and a half. Um, Bristol, you know that's never going to go anywhere. And if they could, if Bruton could ever buy all the hotels up there and make it affordable to stay in Bristol, they'd get back to selling it out like they used to. Um, Sonoma's a one-off deal. They don't want to lose a road course because, I mean, NASCAR kind of likes the fact of two road courses in the this, in this series. So pretty much we've narrowed it down. It's not going to be Charlotte. That's the one that Bruton started with. So we through the process of elimination, if Vegas gets a second date, it's coming at the expense of New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And it'll be a chase race because that's what Vegas wants. And there was a talk, they were talking about possibly putting a 37th race in or something like that. But in the contract, it says that it will be televised on either Fox Sports 1, Fox, uh, NBC, or NBC Sports Network. So that puts it as it's going to be a cup race. It's not going to be an exhibition. And for what the Las Vegas Tourism Bureau is going to pony up, they want a cup race. They want the chase race. And if you look at what Vegas has been doing lately, they're trying to trying to get the Raiders in. They got a hockey team coming up. Vegas is trying to turn themselves into a sports mecca other than the gambling capital of the world. They're trying to go legit and have some regular sports teams and regular sports attractions there to go with all the other stuff that happens in Vegas. I think Vegas would be a great place to have a chase race. I'd love to see it of all the other mile and a half that's in the chase. I mean, if you ask me the choice, I'd rather give up Charlotte, but it's not, they're never going to do that. Charlotte mm -hmm. is where Bruton started. That's the beginning of the Speedway Motorsports empire. It's not going to lose a date. I mean, they keep, like you said, we were talking before the show about Charlotte saying the road, putting the road course in it would take away a mile and a half from the chase that road course is never going to happen because Jeff Gordon says it's too narrow. The sight lines are terrible for the fans and they're not going to want to see it. So that's pretty much where we're going to be. It's probably going to be New Hampshire that goes away as unfortunate as it is, but the fans have sort of done it to themselves. It used to be a sellout every time they showed up there and now they're down to maybe halfway full. Yeah. And I think that's to me, what you touched on there at the end is, is the most, uh, problematic thing for me is having another mile and a half racetrack and i know las vegas runs differently than a mile and a half racetrack but i think part of the reason why nascar is sort of in the 
ratings and attendance funk it's been in is we do have too many mile-and-a-half tracks, not enough short tracks. And to take a short track type of racetrack like New Hampshire Motor Speedway and replace it with Las Vegas Motor Speedway, a mile-and-a-half track, kind of doesn't sit great with me. Because, again, I think it's just that we have too many of those. You know, the tracks that have come in in the last 20 years, Texas Motor Speedway, we have two dates there. Um, Kentucky, a date there. You know, then we're going to have two dates at Las Vegas again. And it's just going to say maybe too much of, of something is is bad. And I think as far as Las Vegas goes, it's a good racetrack. You know, there's somebody who was on, um, who was on Facebook who's saying, listen, I would, you know, what about Vegas getting the, the final race, the championship race? I don't think that'll ever happen because I, good luck getting that from ISC and Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, you know, Bruton would really have to push hard and threaten something and give something back to ISC for that, whether it's the all-star race to get that final race. But I think it would be really cool if they did, if Vegas got a chase date and they moved it to the end of the year and the, and the championship races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway to sort of put the championship car and drive it through the streets of Las Vegas at the end of the year and sort of keep it outside the hotel they do the, the, uh, the banquet in and keep it there for a couple of weeks and sort of say that's the actual car and driver and championship that championship car that uh, won that won the championship at Las Vegas. I think that would be really, really cool. After all the ceremonies and everything, drive through Las Vegas, it would be cool to see, I think. But, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, but, my, again, my biggest problem would be, John, just another mile-and-a-half racetrack, uh, another mile-and-a-half race. Do we really need that many mile-and-a-halfs? We only got six short tracks as it is, if you don't include New Hampshire, which is a mile track, or Dover, which is a mile track. You know, with Bristol, Richmond, and Martinsville. Uh, so, do we really need another, uh, you know, mile and a half race coming up? I, that's where I have a big problem with it. If you ask me, I, I mean, again, when it comes to that, Dover's race in the fall has tended to be really boring. The, the summer race is good because it's hot and slick. The fall race has tended to be boring. It'd be nice to see Dover lose one because they haven't been doing their job of selling out the place either. Um, I'm looking at the Las Vegas uh, Journal Review for some of the stats about what's being talked about. There's a 14-member board of the Las Vegas Convention of Visitors Authority Board. will meet Wednesday to vote on whether or not to approve this. The sponsorship and marketing agreement would dictate $1 million plus per race, and a $500,000 a year to market both the spring and fall races beginning January 1st, 2018 for seven years with an option for three. The contract would be for two NASCAR first tier, currently the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series sanctioned races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway every year during the term of the agreement. And it says that the first fee would be paid beginning with the 2018 races. There would be clauses in place to cancel payments if a race is canceled, not scheduled, the race isn't a first-tier NASCAR event, or not broadcast, broadcast on a major broadcaster cable television network. The, list, uh, the contract lists eight networks that are seemed, deemed suitable for broadcast. And they're used stats of how this race economically impacts the Las Vegas community. In 2016, 96,400 out-of-town visitors came to Vegas for the race, resulting in $139.2 million of economic impact over one weekend. 
That's crazy. That's a lot of money. And, you know, and I've heard some things about Vegas as far as the attendance isn't there. But I'll say this. You know, when they do a standalone truck race out there in Las Vegas, that crowd is pretty good when they do a standalone truck race. Um, and I think that's more towards the August, if I, if I remember correctly. I haven't, I'm not 100% sure. August range of the schedule. And it's a late race for us on the East Coast, so we kind of you know, sit there and, go, and grumble at it. But, man, when that race starts, the seats are very good for a truck race. So, you know, they've kind of earned this a little bit as far as getting a date. But you would like to see it come from, like you said, you know, maybe a Charlotte or something like that, but it's not going to happen. Uh, I, I totally agree with you on that. It's not going to happen. And, um, you know, as far as Dover is concerned, they're a standalone racetrack. They got the New York market per se. They're closer to the New York market than, you know, the only track closer than that, Do- uh, Pocono, that is closer to the New York market. So I think NASCAR kind of wants to keep those racetracks. But the end, at the end of the day, you know, it's a business. And Bruton Smith's going to do what he wants to do. NASCAR, sure, sure they have to approve it. But I don't think there's much they can do here, John, as far as saying we don't want Las Vegas. You know, they can kind of put their put their foot down a little bit, but Bruton's going to push hard for this because this is his one of his best racetracks. Um, this is a track he wants to make a lot of money on, and if New Hampshire or the track he's going to take it off, if he looks at it and says I can make five million dollars more at Las Vegas than having a race at New Hampshire, he's going to do that. And as a businessman, that's probably what he should do. So I think NASCAR's hands are kind of tied here. Sure, they have to approve everything. But, again, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate that we're just – and from my perspective, we're going to add another mile-and-a-half race. Uh, I think that is something that um, – you know, and I, and I sound like a broken record, but I feel like that would be another – just a, a fans going, oh, my gosh, do I really have to watch this again? You know, we like diversity in this sport as far as the racetracks go. And uh, we'd have, I think – Goodness gracious, somewhere up in the, into the teens, 15, maybe mile-and-a-half racetracks, it would just be a, a, a bundle, and I think it would it would not be very good to have another mile-and-a-half track. But, again, that's the way it's looking, John. Well, if you go to the chase and think about what's in there, they start off at a mile-and-a-half in Chicago. Right now they go to a mile at um, New Hampshire, then the mile at Dover. The only non-mile-and-a-halves in the chase are Talladega, Dover, New Hampshire, and Martinsville. So you take that out, seven of the ten chase or uh, playoff races would be on mile-and-a-half tracks. Now, for the competition part of it, I think it's probably better because you're determining a champion. It'd be like saying, okay, we're going to play football, but this week we're going to play on a 65-yard field, and next week we're going to play on an 85-yard field, and now we're going to play on the 100-yard field. And that's what it sort of looks like when you come to the playoffs where you're in different um, modes of racing. I think, I mean, no matter what, Vegas is going to end up with a deal, especially if NASCAR looks like they're in the dollar sign issues that they've been in and continue to be in. I think Vegas is going to get the second race. It's going to be a chase race. It won't be the final one. They're not pulling that out of Homestead, Miami, and I hope they don't because the racing there is beyond phenomenal. Every chase race, I mean, every championship race we've had over the last few years since they started knockout eliminations has been phenomenal. And I hope they keep the final race there. It started picking up. I mean, if you think the uh, 2011 was Stewart and Carl Edwards, that race was one of the best ones ever. The Harvick race with Newman. I mean, they've been phenomenal as they've gone. And I'd like to see it stay that way, keep that final race at Homestead. 
But Vegas is getting the chase race in 2018. There's 17 and a half million reasons why. <laughs> You're absolutely right on that, John. No doubt about it. Couple another interesting thing that's come that's caught my attention here in the last couple of days has been some tracks. Martinsville's uh, announced it for their October event. I think both Pocono races will have it. Same day qualifying as the race, where they're going to qualify on the same day as the race. John, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure how big of an issue it's going to be. Uh, what are your thoughts on this whole, you know, qualifying on the same day as as your race? Do you think it's a big deal? Do you think it doesn't matter a whole lot? What are your thoughts on that? I love it. I love it because we've talked about qualifying setups and all the stuff that they do. This way, they're going to race what they brought. They can practice, but they go out and qualify. Guess what? They're not going to have time to change the car over from qualifying trim to race trim. If they're qualifying at noon and they're racing at three, guess what? You're, whatever you go out there and qualify with is the same thing you're going to drop the green flag with. And that's what I want to see. I don't want to see these 17 different setups and everything. If they're going to race, it's the same thing if you go to a sprint car race. They go out for hops. They got their sprint car. They do a little work on it, but it's not like they change the shocks and change the setup and everything. They, they adjust on it, but they don't do much. They don't have time to do much. And then they qualify. Then they don't have time to do much before heats come in, then the feature. So you're running what you brought. And I love the idea of doing this. I think it'll work great at Pocono. I think you'll have more people seeing qualifying because, I mean, you think about it, look at track operations for that day. Maybe there's a thousand or two there for qualifying. It's extra time on TV, but you're, you're never showing the stands because very few people are there. I mean, why put the extra day in? You can practice on Saturday, race on Sunday, and everybody goes home happy. The drivers get an extra day to themselves. The crews only have to stay over two nights instead of three. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And despite the fact that don't have really teams going home anymore. I would, where I would have a problem with this if, you know, we had like six teams going home and you say, well, you know, as a go-or-go-home team, you're going to have to stay here an extra two days before you even realize if you're going to be in the race. And then we're not going to pay you to be in the race. I think that would be kind of crazy, but you know we're not going to see. I don't think we'll ever see fields go back above forty, forty-one again uh, in the series because of the chartering thirty-six charters. So yeah, I think that's interesting. But you know, it, where it's going to be really interesting is if somebody, for example, David Ray this afternoon, Atlanta uh, be wrecking his race car. You know they have two days to fix. They have two days to fix that race car. Uh, you know, and really tomorrow they wanted to have it good for, for practice, but they can kind of pick three hours to fix a, a, a race car, and it hurts you a little bit. You know, you're going to have some damage on that race car. Now you can kind of, you know, no rules saying you can't put a new body on it and stuff like that, like we see with the five minute rule in the race as far as qualifying is concerned. So that's very interesting. Um, you know, I think where some tracks are a little hesitant of doing this is like you said, um, you could sell three days for the campers as far as, hey, you know, Friday we're going to qualify the cup guys. Saturday will be the Xfinity race, and then Sunday we're going to run the cup race. Now you might not be able to do that. Um, I, you know, is that a big deal for Pocono? I don't know. I don't know how much uh, not having, 
you know, people aren't going to say, well, I'm not going to stay there Friday because I don't really care about qualifying anyway. I'll just come Saturday and Sunday, which is probably what most people do anyway. Um, so that's very interesting to keep in mind there as well. As far as the camping goes, and Pocono is a big track as far as camping goes because they got a big infield there. I used to do it all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that's going to be interesting. Uh, I I don't know exactly how it's going to be impound. When you look at the Xfinity Series race, you kind of say, wrong what you brung. The Xfinity Series race has been impound for the last five years where you know you have to qualify basically with the same setup you race other than maybe a few air pressure adjustments and bolting new tires on there. Um, and that's going to be something new for Cup, obviously. With the, You're right. You're not going to be able to change a whole lot with it. So you're going to be qualifying your race trim other than maybe taping it up and stuff like that. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see, John, how this kind of plays in the, into it. Will this be the norm? Uh, you know, who knows if this is going to be the norm, but it's definitely something to take a look at. I agree with you in a way. You're going to see a lot of people in the stands. Uh, I think TV will be probably better to sell qualifying for TV on a Sunday than it is a Friday. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. The one thing I, whenever you talk about camping, I've been to Pocono and camped in the infield as well. And you see the camp at some of the other, camped at Dover as well. We went to Dover. We would get there Wednesday for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend. Uh, Pocono, whenever they qualify on Friday and practice on Friday, if you're going to be in the infield, you got to be in the infield Thursday night or Friday before 8 o'clock in the morning because they close the tunnel off because if your camper's too big to get through the tunnel, you can't go on the track. So most of the time, if you have a big RV and everything, you got to go on the track to get out. So you're going to get there Thursday night anyhow. And a lot of times, if you're going there to camp, you're going there to party for the weekend. So what's that extra day if nothing's happening on the track? It just means they're going to sell more beer or they're going to have more more people having fun in the infield. It gives them a chance to have maybe a concert on Friday that they wouldn't have had. And another way to spark up interest in the crowd instead of just being the race. I think it's not going to be a problem when it comes to camping because the campers are looking to be there for the party and to get away and an extra day of doing nothing isn't going to hurt them anyhow. Yeah, and I think the only thing I would be worried about as far as tracks are concerned, you can't, like you said, you got to get there on a Friday, but you have to say, well, I'm going to charge you for three days instead of now they're going to start for two days because uh, unless they do practice, which might be probably what they're going to do on Friday, and they'll say, well, you get practice anyway. But, yeah, um, I, I don't think it's going to change anything a whole lot. It'll you know make it a little bit different. But I don't think you're going to see dra- it's going to be changing anything drastically, but it's going to be something interesting to see. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join a conversation here on Talking Circles, the last um, eighteen seventeen minutes of the show here, uh, Carl Edwards, John, showed up today at Atlanta Motor Speedway helping out Daniel Suarez. Uh, you know the nineteen team. Edwards is a obviously retired before the year. Um, is it, are we looking too much into it? There's a lot of people kind of sitting there going, why is he in the garage area? You know, you're tired. What are you doing? Obviously, Suarez is a rookie, and he could use the help of a veteran, no doubt about it. But he's got teammates, Edwards. Or he's got teammates like Kenseth, excuse me, like Kyle Busch who have been, and Denny Hamlin, who have been around the block here for now almost 10 years. A uh, little bit interesting to you that Edwards is here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Do you think it's a big deal, or do you think it's sort of – you know, him being there be, to be a good guy and helping out his, his uh, 
sort of the, the person who replaced him in that 19 car? Well, the one thing they said all along is Carl would be available to help Daniel Suarez, and Carl Edwards is phenomenal Atlanta. So having Carl on top of the hauler, looking out over Daniel Suarez, talking to him, debriefing with him in between, I don't see a problem with that. I see that as uh, being a good teammate. I mean, heck, he's probably still getting some sort of money from Joe Gibbs, even though he's not in the car. The one thing I did get a kick out of is Carl was joking at the press conference. It uh, just somehow showed up because he was there. So everybody in the media piled on him. And he said uh, he should have messed with everybody. And somehow on the rumors saying that Carlos Slim paid him a million bucks to come hang out with Suarez or Penske's asking for him to spy on the Toyotas. Um, The one thing that is funny is he brought his helmet, his driver's suit just in case somebody needs him this weekend. The only problem is he's not licensed by NASCAR yet, so he couldn't get in the car if he wanted to. Now, I think NASCAR could license him in the blink of an eye because he's already taken a drug test and he's passed it, but he doesn't have a license to drive a NASCAR right now because he didn't go through all the concussion tests and everything else to give him the baseline to get ready for the season. Most of the licensing stuff for NASCAR takes place in the month of January, and Carl said, hey, I'm done and never played. So I think it was pretty good on Carl's part that he is still helping out Daniel Suarez. He was at the Phoenix test with him, um, able to give him tips and pointers on how he's run the track. He can listen to how Daniel's talking about how the car is and give him an idea of what to do, how to recommend what changes to the car whenever he hears what's going on. That's something he could do. But one of the things that Carl has said and he even said it again today. He said, I didn't call it, a t- I have not called it retirement officially. He says he brought his driver's suit today and his helmet in case somebody needed it. But if somebody gets hurt in the Gibbs camp, I could see Carl hopping in. But one of the things he said also is, um, I don't see you can come in and be half in and half out. He said he's sticking to his plan wants to make sure his perspective is right and decide if he's going to drive anything. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it 100%. And right now he doesn't have 100% in him. So you gotta, you got to give Carl credit for sticking to his guns, having an idea, and saying, this is what I want to see, this is what I want to do this year. And who knows, he may get bored about July and get itching to go next year and be looking for a ride. But if he likes the idea of not running, he could end up being perfect for the booth at some point. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's definitely something with his personality uh, would be would be great. You know, and I think Fox might even use him for Xfinity Series telecasts because he's been on that in the past. He's ran the Xfinity Series races a lot. It's just interesting to me uh, that he's there. You know, talk about the spy on the Toyota teams. If Carl does sit there and say, hey, listen, I'm coming back next year, like you said, in, in July. Hey, I'm coming back next year. I'm, I'm going to um, – I got bored. I made a mistake. And I want to come back. There will be a lot of teams that would go after him. One of the teams I don't think would be Joe Gibbs Racing because there's just not seats there. Matt Kenseth is there, and I, you know he's there trying to re-up his contract. Hamlin they just re-up with. Kyle Busch isn't going in and wearing Suarez is in his rookie year. You know, you only got two teams over there at, at Furniture Racing already, so none, none of those drivers are going anywhere. So, um, is it a big deal that he's if if you know he would sort of come back 
Do you think Joe Gibbs is sort of flirting with disaster a little bit, or do you think it's something that's that's dumb, that's silly? You know, he can't really learn a whole lot as far as what he knows already from what he ran in 2016 and 2015 over at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, you know, I'm just curious. I'll be curious to see how much he's sort of, you know, uh, let in on the information. How much information he's let in on, because if there's a lot and he's on, in on these team meetings, it'll be very interesting to see if he does get the itch again, like you said, around July and August to co- sort of come back. Um, how that might affect Joe Gibbs Racing and his relationship with that team. I don't think uh, Carl's sitting in the Tuesday debriefs. I don't think they opened up the notebook and said, hey, Carl, take a look. I think he's listening on the radio to Daniel Suarez. And when Suarez says it's loose and he sees where it's loose, Carl can say maybe go up half a lane or go down half a lane or put a little more rear, um, rear brake in it or adjust your sway bar. I don't see Carl getting any information. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens come July, because that's about the time Carl will realize whether he's bored or not. About Daytona, uh, the Pepsi or the Coca-Cola, the Coke Zero 400 is whenever um, Carl will probably go, boy, I really should have stayed in a car. And one of the things you look at, and here's, they say about Penske, if Penske's doing a third car, Ryan Blaney's going in it. If there's a Ford car that Carl Edwards would get in in 2018, the 10 car. That's where I would see Carl going if he comes back. I don't see him coming back, though, but if he comes back, it would go to the 10 car. That's where I see him going. I mean, you think about it, last year at Homestead, what did Carl do before the final race? He gave Tony the helmet from the battle of 2011. Tony and Carl have been pretty tight all along. Tony's been very respectful of Carl. Carl's been very respectful of Tony. Stewart and Gene Haas have a heck of an operation going on over there. Now, Carl and Harvick have had their issues, but Harvick's had issues with almost everybody at one point except Tony Stewart. So we'll see what happens. But I think if Carl's going to get in a car it would have to be a competitive ride. Joe Gibbs doesn't have any room at the end because right now Eric Jones is at furniture row on a one-year deal. I think Joe Gibbs is going to try to get Eric Jones back in the fold and put him one of the Gibbs rides. Suarez isn't going anywhere because Carlos Slim loves Daniel Suarez. If Carl Edwards goes anywhere, if it's a Ford, it's Stuart Haas. If it's a Toyota, it may be with Furniture Row. But we still got to find a home for Matt Kenseth next year, too. Yeah, no, it's it's wild if he did, did decide to come back. I agree with you. I don't think we're going to see Carl back in a car. And I think people need to understand. I'm, and, and here's the issue. I think what people are having a problem with and what the media are having problems with is he hasn't used the R word. And that always leads people to go, well... He's not officially retired, so and he, there's a reason why he's not saying that. Um, you know, maybe he wants to do something like Jeff Gordon does. And the curious thing is because he could get a TV job in a second, no doubt about it. Um, I think, you know, like I said, I think Fox could even put him in his the Xfinity role uh, as far as driver analyst, and he would he would destroy. He would be great in that role, um, and he hasn't taken that. I wonder if it's because he is sort of. Not 100% sure if he's going to want to come back. But, again, we're looking way too much into it as far as that is concerned. Um, 
three races this weekend, John. Camping World Truck Series runs tomorrow after the NASCAR Xfinity race. Doubleheader. I love that. I love that there's two races in one week. Excuse me, in one day. Uh, two races in one day there. Xfinity first. Busy day tomorrow. You're going to have uh, Xfinity qualifying, truck qualifying, cup practice, cup final practice, uh, Xfinity race, then the truck series race, all Atlanta Motor Speedway tomorrow. Uh, all the practice for the Xfinity Series race went today, as, as well as the Truck Series went today. A um, couple of interesting notes. I thought Eric Amarola in that 98 team, is, as as much as Richard Petty Motorsports in that 43 car has struggled a little bit in, in Cup, uh, they've come out in this 98 team, and they've been really fast. That was an interesting team on top of the board. Also, Daniel Hemrick, RC, he's a great young driver, rookie driver, um, in his first non-point race at RCR, he was very, very fast. You see the usual names. Kevin Harvick was fast, Kyle Busch, but a, a couple of really interesting names. Like I said, Eric Amarola and Daniel Hemrick were up there, and they were fast. So um, if you're sort of the guy who pulls for the, the little the little teams or or a, a, sort of a surprise win, Amarola and Hemrick might be two guys to keep an eye on. I think the Biagi Motorsports team that Amarola is driving for has their stuff together. I mean, you look at some of the people they got – um, Casey Mears is going to drive that car for a few races. Almirola is doing well in it. He's always done well in it. I mean, you look, he won a race for them last year. Um, I really think Daniel Hemrick is the real deal. I think he had a great practice today when one of his teammates, um, the other Jones, Brandon Jones, wound up planting one into the wall and have to go to a backup car. So he'll be a struggle for RCR. It's going to be interesting. I mean, one of the things that I hate about the race on Saturday, and if you think about it, Daniel Hemrick was the only Xfinity regular in the top five in practice because you've got Kyle Busch, you've got Keselowski, you've got your typical let's bring the cup boys down because it's companion weekend. But it'll be nice to see. I'd love to see the Xfinity guys have a good shot at this. I'd like to see Hemrick do well for RCR. Oh, absolutely, and and it'd be nice to see a kid that, uh, you know, has worked his way up the right way. I, I guess you could phrase it, you know, who's won some races, has had a lot of success, and that's what has made him, I think, sort of endearing to a race fan. Where you kind of sit there and you go, hey, this kid, you know, yeah, he's you know he's been able to sell himself to some sponsorships, but he doesn't have, you know, a rich father sort of paying the bills for him. Um, that's you know that's refreshing to see in this sport now. Uh, sure, he's a nice kid. He's he's helped sponsorship, but he's he's won some races in in the lower divisions of NASCAR. Had a pretty good year last year for Brad Keselowski Racing. RCR got his hand got Richard Childress got his hands on him this year in Xfinity, and he might need a couple of years before he moves to the Cup Series, no doubt about it. But he's been fast. He was fast last week in Daytona. Got a little loose, but I tell you something with these Xfinity cars, John. There, thirty percent less downforce on these cars in 2017 than they had in 2016. I love it. You know, I always felt that these uh, Xfinity cars had too much downforce. You know, I think some of the drivers obviously like downforce. Some of them don't. Um, I would like to see NASCAR sort of go towards, you know, like it is in Cup with even more downforce in the Xfinity series. And maybe that's the plan with them. But those spoilers are a lot smaller than they were last year. The cars look different uh, because of the uh, size of the spoiler and the front splitter. Um, I like it. You know, the cars are sliding all over the place this week. But it might you know, push it towards a cup guy winning that race. And and not that the Xfinity, rate, Xfinity teams were winning with more downforce on the car last year. 
Um, but you know, these cup guys have ha- are used to the, to lower downforce. Um, now have way less and more downforce than the Xfinity car. So I think you might see a cup guy obviously go out there and run really well. But I would like to see Hemrick go up there and compete with them. And same thing with Amarola, who yeah, he's a cup guy for sure. But you know, you don't see that '98 team running up front every day. Uh, how about do you like two races in one day, John? Do you think it's it's entertaining for the fans? Do you think it's fun? What are your thoughts on on having two an Xfinity race and a Truck Series race on the same day at Atlanta? I think it's a great idea. I mean, the one thing I used to love about going to Richmond, and I would go. For, I mean, one time I brought my father down. I uh, took it to him on a Friday, and we went and we saw Cup practice, Xfinity practice, Cup practice, Xfinity practice, Cup and Xfinity qualifying, and the Xfinity race. We were there from ten o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night, and the track was going the whole time. And that's one of the things you're going to see Saturday. You're going to see qualifying. I mean, qualifying for Xfinity is at 8.15 in the morning. So, or no, I'm sorry, 9.15 in the morning. So the track is going to be active from 9 o'clock in the morning until probably 7, 7.30 at night. And that's what a fan wants. I mean, you're going to get more for your money going tomorrow than you will Sunday. And if the somebody really wants a bargain for their deal, go to Atlanta tomorrow. You're going to see almost 10 hours of racing for half of what you'll pay Sunday to see 500 miles. Yeah, no, that's a great point, John. And I thought today was the same way. Um, a lot of practice sessions. Cup ran one practice session, and they qualified. And trucks ran three, and Xfinity ran three. So there was a lot of racing going on today at Atlanta Motor Speedway as well. Uh, practices and stuff, and I, I think it's great, John. Uh, part of my problem is, you know, I always feel like, especially with these night races, um, that we have too much downtime at, on these racetracks. You know, I think that hurts the fans a lot. Um, and it hurts sort of the ticket sales when you're sitting there going, okay, you know, now, now I'm at the racetrack till 12 o'clock, but I don't have anything to do until, you know, Saturday night race. What am I going to do? I, I got to wait till 7 o'clock, especially the campers. You can only throw so many concerts. Um, but I, I like that, and I think that when you look at what we were talking about earlier in the show as far as qualifying on the same day as the Cup Day, I think it has a lot to do because these Cup races start a little bit later due to TV, start a little bit later in the day uh, than they than they would in, pre- in years past. So now you sort of sit there and go, hey, you have something to watch at 11 o'clock in the morning if you want to get to the racetrack. Um, I think it's cool. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm one of those geeks who used to watch go to Daytona and watch single car runs and qualifying uh, all those years ago. And that was a lot of fun to me. So, um, you know, I, I totally agree with that, John. Uh, the one, the we, one thing, one more thing before we run, I, when it comes to the night races and putting everything in, you know, have that big break. One of the things you don't have whenever you have all this stuff going on is people having so much time to get plowed and you have the drunk falling over you when you're just sitting there trying to watch a race. It's a good point, and I think that might draw some fans away, especially with kids and stuff like that. Where you sit there and go, I can watch it on TV. I don't have to go to the racetrack and do that and have, you know, some drunks, you know, uh, cursing and and using bad language and, like you said, falling all over me and sweating all over me and stuff like that. Uh, I I think it's a very good point, John. And listen, I'm excited for tomorrow because I'm going to get up and watch racing all day. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I want to thank John Harlow uh, joining me again here, speedwithmedia.com. Helping us out again, and uh, 
We'll see you next time here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.